Whereas a stepmom doesn't pick the stepkids, right? Yeah. And you did pick these kids. So you are really enlightening me that you do have these feelings. And it's not that you don't love the kids, but it's not the same. It is not the same. You're listening to the Nacho Kids Podcast, where we discuss all things step family related. Real stories, real people, real help. Your hosts are the creators of the Nacho Kids Method and the Nacho Kids Academy Step Family Coaching Team, Lori and David Sims. Welcome to episode 181 of the Nacho Kids Podcast. What you got for us today, Lori? I don't know, David. <laughs> Why you say it that way? Because we just started this and you said, are you ready? <laughs> and I'm like, can you not hear me? <laughs> and you just thought that was funny and I don't. Okay. So what was I supposed to be ready for? Ready to get started. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> no, I'm not ready. I just start off conversations with, welcome to episode 181 of the Nacho Kids podcast. You start off conversations like that? Yeah, apparently. That's got to be weird. Like you just walk up to people and go, welcome to Nacho Kids podcast. Yeah, I do. I do. That's what I do. <laughs> okay. Yeah. We all live in our own show. Yes. Well, I interviewed a lady today. Her interview will be coming out towards the end of the year, first of next year. And she is a member of the Nacho Kids Academy. And after we finished recording, she said, I know we're not recording anymore, but it truly has changed my life. I'm like, man, I shouldn't have cut that recording off so quick. But it really can be life-changing, y'all. If you want the change and you are willing to put the work in, join the Nacho Kids Academy. There are video courses, a private community that nobody knows who you are, a private journaling feature that we can't even see. There's the Nacho Kids Boot Camp, the Change Your Stinking Thinking Challenge, the Self-Love Challenge, and... Q&A coaching calls with me and my wonderful co-host, David. (laughs) Yeah, I'm like Vanna White. Yeah. (laughs) Or my annoying co-host, however you want to phrase it. Uh, Wonderful co-host. Wonderful, amazing, supportive, all this good stuff. Okay. If you were so amazing and supportive, you would let me throw tomatoes at you. That has nothing to do with being amazing and supportive. David, we've had people from Australia say, yes, throw tomatoes at David, please. Did they send you any tomatoes? David. (laughs) Sure, let me spend $6,000 to send you three tomatoes (laughs) from Australia to throw at David. (laughs) Well, I mean, you know. That wasn't part of the deal. (laughs) How much do you want it? (laughs) Look at you changing up the rules. Okay, so how many people have you had asked? Do I need to put a number on it? Like, if you have X number of people, I'll do it. Well, I think you said if I had one person. (laughs) I don't think I said that. I think you said if anybody messages you, it says they want you to throw tomatoes at me, then we'll do it. And I've had three or four. Ooh. (laughs) See? Out of the thousands of listeners we have, that means you've got 10,980 
seven people who don't want you to throw tomatoes. <laughs> no, that's not it. <laughs> it means that either those people don't listen to the intro and outro, or those people are just so busy that they haven't had a chance to email me yet. Okay. All right. We'll make it happen. <gasps> really? No, we're not doing that. Dang it. My wife was good <laughs> again for a minute. I've been depressed ever since then. Come on. Take one for the team. All right. We'll do it. <gasps> really? No, we ain't doing that. David, <laughs> stop the madness. <clears throat> I'm just going to have to do it without your permission. But then I know that I'm going to get hurt in the process. The repercussions could be dangerous. I know. All right, we'll do it just for those four people. You promise? <laughs> no, you'll get me on this one, ain't you? <laughs> yeah, I promise. <gasps> Let me see your fingers. Make sure they're not crossed. You promise? I, cro- I can't cross my fingers. <laughs> see, you, you can't cross them, so we're good. Okay, y'all, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. I'm so excited. That is weird. I can't cross my fingers. <laughs> Life is good again. I really can't. David, stop. <laughs> it's not that hard. Look, I can cross all mine. I can't. You can't do this? No, I can't even do one of them. Yeah, I always knew there was some kind of malfunction there. I can do that. David. Okay. <laughs> So our guest today is not, I would say, our normal guest. Why do you call her a guest abnormal? She's different. And I didn't say abnormal, you did. You said she's not normal. I said she... (laughs) (laughs) Button pusher, button pusher, button pusher. (laughs) She is not a stepmom. She is an adoptive mom. She reached out to me and said she would like to be a guest on our podcast. And she told me a little bit of her story, and my response was, thanks, but no thanks. You're not in a blend or a step family. Well, she reached back out to me and said, well, I've listened to your podcast, and a lot of things you say regarding stepkids apply to us. Hmm. So I said, okay. We'll have you on. So that's what we did. She has seven bio kids. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and she has three adopted kids. Oh. And I'm going to tell y'all, this is very taboo because she doesn't love her adoptive kids like she loves her own. <gasps> and I've never... I never thought of this because I always thought you chose these kids. You chose to adopt them so the love would be like your own. But a lot of adoptive parents don't have bio kids. Mm. So they don't know that there's a difference. That's true. And I go deep with her with this to the point of I ask her, do you think the kids would have been better off with somebody that could love them? quote, quote, like their own. But we talk about the societal pressures on step-parents and adoptive parents 
to love these kids just like they do their own bio kids. And it's not that she doesn't love these kids. Just like it's different. Right. Just like it's not that I don't love your kids or your dog. (laughs) I love crazy dog Kai, but just not the same as I love crazy dog Veda. What? But they're both adopted. It doesn't matter. Oh, that's your adopted dog. Yes. Veda is mine. Kai is yours. Well, if Veda is yours, why does she come check on me all the time? She's nosy. (laughs) It runs in the family. (laughs) But do I love Veda like I do Jackson? No. No. I do. No. I love the dog more than Jackson. uh, David. (laughs) I was about to say Jackson and his middle name. Good Lord, I'm getting you confused with my son. That's scary. Take it back, David. I take it back. Okay. I know you love my baby. He's a good baby. Stop it. (laughs) Okay. So there is something that I want to talk about that I should probably add a disclaimer. Well, first, let me add a disclaimer to this episode. There is mention of fetal alcohol syndrome. Okay. But I want to talk about something that I found out about recently that I had not heard of that shocked me. The earth is round. No, David. Okay. But I will add a disclaimer that this talks about suicide. So there is a city councilman in the city that I grew up in that his son committed suicide Back in June, I believe it was. And they couldn't figure out why. This kid was doing good. I mean, he had went through bullying stuff when he was younger, but he was doing good. No signs, right? hmm Come to find out, the dad posted a YouTube video explaining what happened and what they have found out after his death. There is a thing where... People will reach out to especially teenage boys on Instagram and Snapchat and pretend they're girls. They may be girls. Pretend they're attractive girls. We'll say that. And they start talking smack to them. I get those. David, this is serious. I'm serious. I just ignore them. We'll talk about this later. (laughs) So... Anyway, what happens is these kids feel like they're safe on Snapchat because it disappears after so long, right? hmm But then this person will convince them, hey, let's take this to the, what's that, what's up app or meet up app or. What's app? Yep, that's it. I think so. Or even just your phone. Use your phone to get them off of that social media platform, right? Okay. And they end up sending basically nudies and convince the other person to do so as well. Within minutes of the child sending the nudies to this person they met online, they receive a text saying, if you do not send me such and such money, we're going to post this all over the internet. Hmm. Sextortion. Exactly. 
Had you already heard that term? Mm-hmm. I'd never heard of it, okay? So, probably because David gets all these things. But anyway. <laughs> because I'm in cybersecurity, Goofy. Well, of course, most of these people that are doing this are outside of the United States. Mm-hmm. But apparently, this kid did that. He fell for it. And they, I'm sure, used the fact that his dad was in the public as uh, more leverage to get him to send money. Right. And the kid killed himself. Mm. So I started researching this. Again, I had never heard of it till last night when I watched this YouTube video. It has been going on for quite a while. It's not new. It's new to me. And people from the ages of 14 to 82 have killed themselves over this scam. Mm-mm. Yes. What they do is look at your friends or whatever, and they'll send this stuff and threaten to send more if you don't send them money. In some cases, the money is sent, but they keep doing it. Oh, you have to send us more money. You have to send us more money. And it is really sad. All I Googled was sextortion scams and suicide. And I think the latest one that I saw was 2018. When I say latest, I don't mean most current. I mean... Latest, oldest. And there were five people that these people reached out to, and they all killed themselves. Mm. So I decided to post the video in my Facebook group and publicly on my Facebook page because it weighed heavy on my heart. I talked to my son. He knew about it. And I think it's important to explain to our kids, and I'm going to say the reason I posted it in my Facebook group is because a lot of step-parents are also bio-parents, and because step-parents can be a safe place for Mm step-kids. Please let your kids know that no matter how much they screw up, that you will love them, and if they feel like there, something is happening that is out of their control and they can't handle it, that they need to come to you. Now, of course, this guy, his name is actually Brandon Guffey. His son's name was Gavin. He beat himself up thinking this, it, this is why or I could have done this kind of thing, which you can mm-hmm. only imagine. But I am so thankful that he decided to publicly tell what happened. Because, again, I had never heard of this. And something else that he said that kind of shocked me, that research shows or whatever, somebody had told them this information, so I don't know exactly who it was, that from the point of thinking, I'm going to kill myself, the act is done within 20 minutes. Uh Uh-huh. If a firearm is present, it's three minutes. Wow. Three minutes. 
because they have access. It's easier. It's quicker. There's less thought having to be put into it. So we're not going to get into the whole firearm safety discussion or anything like that, but this really did touch my heart, and I feel so sorry for this family, but I don't know a politically correct way to say this, but his dad is going to make sure that this child did not die in vain. So, no, we're not saying step parents, you need to go check your stepkids' phones. We're not saying that. (laughs) Yeah. We're just saying, be the step parent that does nacho and doesn't parent and can be a safe place to fall. Or be the parent that lets their kid know that, hey, dude, no matter what happens, I've got your back. I will never turn my back on you. Yeah. And that video might be a good place to start. It might be a good conversation starter. Yes. Yes. So I will post a link to that in um, the show notes. Okay. Okay. And one thing that his dad also did after Gavin passed away was um, he made shirts that says, Tomorrow Needs You. Hmm. And I like that. Yep. And apparently before the little boy died, when I say little boy, you know, I'm ancient, so everybody's little. Before the child killed himself, he sent a few people a picture. They couldn't tell what it was. They didn't even know what it was for a while, but it was just apparently him in his room, and it was dark. And with the less than sign and the number three, and it looks like a heart. Right. So... That's what they're using to spread awareness about this issue. Well, that's sad. Yeah. So I don't mean to bring anybody down, but I really needed to share that because it's important. Mm-hmm. It's very important. And my mom was so strict. Honestly, I can see why kids are scared to share stuff with their parents. And not saying that, it's because this dad was strict that this kid did this. But, you know, he thought he had been there for his kid, but that's something that's embarrassing. Yeah. I mean, just the public embarrassment from his peers could be enough. Yeah. And even after this child died, his brother and his parents were getting messages on Instagram from these people saying, you need to give us money. The internet's a dangerous place. People don't realize, most people don't realize how dangerous of a place it really is. And it's getting worse. Yeah. Yep. So we'll talk about some more of the dangers of the internet maybe on a different intro because I know some people are going to say, this has nothing to do with Nacho. Well, you know what? No, it has nothing to do with Nacho, but it has something to do with children and their lives and the importance of them knowing that they have a safe place to fall. Yep. And it's your show, so talk about what you want. That's right. All right, so with that being said, we're going to talk about something that's even more taboo than Nacho, and that's feeling like you don't love your own adoptive kids like your own. (laughs) Yeah, this ought to be interesting. 
Let's get to listening. Today, we have a special guest. She is not a stepmom, nor is she in what we would call a traditional blend. She is an adoptive mom, and her name is Laura. Welcome, Laura. How are you today? I'm so good. I'm so glad to be here with you. Well, we are glad to have you here. Originally, when you and I spoke over email, I said, well, you're not in a blend, but you brought something to my attention that I had never really thought of. So I thought it was very important to share that even adoptive parents struggle with some of the same things that blended families and stepmoms struggle with. Absolutely. And it's a very taboo as I knowing your story, I know that it's also taboo on the other end as well, but it's a very taboo thing to say and talk about. And a lot of people don't. And I find that a lot of moms just kind of live in that shame Mm -hmm. with all of those feelings. So I'm, trying to be brave and let their moms know that they're not alone. Well, tell us a little bit about your family, and then we will talk about the taboo subject. Yeah. So my husband and I have 10 kids, and seven are biological, and three are a sibling group that are adopted. And we adopted them out of foster care a couple of years, well, it's probably about six years ago now. And yeah, I have all of the feels towards our our bio, bio kids, the attachments there, being with them, I'm like, this is why I was created. This, this being a mom is why I was created. Mm-hmm. And it's just really hard with our adopted buddies. We don't have all the same feels. And so when there's behaviors and everything, it just makes it so much harder. So that's kind of the big flyover view of it. Okay. So you've got seven bio kids. Yes, ma'am. Of those seven, six are boys. They are. <laughs> Holy moly. And then of the adoptive kids, two are boys and one's a girl. Yes. So eight boys, two girls. What made you decide to adopt these children? Yeah. So we, I knew I always wanted to adopt ever since I was little. I I remember reading an article and I was probably in third grade and it was talking about the Congo, like civil war that was going on. And the article I had read was about women being crucified and babies being ripped out of their, their wombs. And Hmm. I just remember weeping and knowing so much, like just from that little perspective that there's so much hurt in the world and I wanted to do something about it. And so kind of knew I wanted to adopt and we had a couple of kids and then decided, you know, it's, it's probably about time. So after our third, we went to an adoption class and kind of figured out that foster care is the way we were going to go. And we had Andrew in our home and, He came to us right from the hospital and at eight months, he went back to mom, his, to his bio mom. And, um, over the next couple of years, I had two more kids. She had two more kids and then her kiddos were taken away again. And we were like, oh my goodness, well, we'll take them. Like Andrew was our kid. Mm -hmm. And we definitely had that attachment was definitely there when he was a baby. And I don't know how this is for every, like, I am not being a blanket statement here of every Mm -hmm adoptive mom feels this way. But I think that having him as a baby, there was definitely a bond there and definitely attachment there. And then he went away for a couple of years and then came back with two siblings and it, it just kind of felt like chaos. Um, it would definitely, we wanted, we wanted them in our home. We wanted to adopt them. We wanted them to be safe. We knew this family. We knew these kids, like we had fought for them. We'd advocated for them. We wanted them in our home. Right. And all the things I knew that 
you're kind of reading all the adoption books, you know, it's not going to be perfect. You know, there's going to be behavior issues. There's going to be things like we don't go in with rose colored glasses by any stretch of the imagination. But I think that we also believed this might be a stretch. It was a lie to us. And uh, we also believed the lie that after a couple of years, you know what, they're going to feel safe in your home and they're going to just be a part of your family. And they're going to be like, just like your bio kids and you're going to love them and protect them the same way you would your bio kids. And while by all means, we absolutely love these children. And we absolutely protect these children. The attachment piece is not there. And it's it's just so much harder. So, And, you know, I like the way that you phrase that because a lot of people will sugarcoat it. But you, you studied stuff. You knew what to expect. Kind of like we did with the blended family stuff. But it's lies. They lie to you. They say, <laughs> love them like your own. Do this. Be a traditional family. And that's crap. Yeah. And, and I don't, my heart is never to want to like damper the whole thing right. to, to put a bad lens on the whole thing, but to just say like, Hey, it's different. Know that for sure. And that's okay that it's different. Right. And don't beat yourself up about it. It's Absolutely. like when we talk about our blended family struggles, we are not doing it to deter anyone from getting into a blend, but we are making you aware of a lot of the struggles that you're not aware of from reading books and things like that, that you're going to encounter, but to also make you realize it's okay that you're not a traditional family. Absolutely. And it's okay if you don't feel the same way towards your bio kids as you do your non-bio kids. Right. And I feel like that needs to be an open discussion, which is why I'm so grateful to be on here today. Well, I'll be honest with you. When people bring up adoptive kids in relation to stepkids, we normally say you can't compare the two because you picked these kids. Whereas a stepmom doesn't pick the stepkids, right? Yeah. And you did pick these kids. So you are really enlightening me that you do have these feelings. And it's not that you don't love the kids, but it's not the same. It is not the same. And again, it may be different for a lot of other families, but the moms that I've talked to and when I, I find when I'm honest and open about it, they will then in turn be honest and open with me and share the same thing that they feel like they were sold, not sold a bill of goods, but they were deceived and told, hey, it's all going to be okay. And mm-hmm. it hasn't been. And there's been so much shame heaped upon them, not only by others, but by themselves as well, that they're not doing something right or that they're right. missing the mark because they don't feel the same way or things aren't going as as it was told they would go. Right. And I also, I was kind of shocked that you adopted these kids when you still were able to have kids of your own. I know a lot of people look to adoption when they're unable to have bio kids. Yeah. I think for us, it was more, it was definitely more of an obedience thing. We felt like that was something we're both people of faith. And so that was mm-hmm. something that we felt like we needed to be doing. And you know, I don't know where your audience stands on all of this, but the Bible talks about taking care of the orphan. And so we're like, well, that's our job. We need to do that. Mm-hmm. And so it's definitely an obedience thing for us. And I know that having our own kids like that, it definitely does make it like we have more children, which just makes things more chaotic at times, you know? Right. But it's also been a beautiful thing to see my kids' hearts soften towards them because our three also have special needs. and so they've been able to see like how we love and care for people who are different than us 
Mm-hmm. And also my kids knowing the bio family, they've seen their living circumstances. They've seen different things. So it's just, it's, it's been enlightening for all of them mm-hmm. and it's um, grown compassion in them and graciousness in them that I don't think that they would have otherwise. So it, it's been a beautiful thing in that regard for sure. Okay. I'm going to touch on something that's probably even more taboo. Okay. Do you think you feel more guilty for not loving them the same as your bio kids because they are special needs? Mm. Well, that's a great question. I, uh, for a long time, so they all have fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. Mm-hmm. And that kind of has a, a host of comorbidities with it. So ADD is hands down. They also have IDD. So they're a little slower. And so I, for a long time, was like, maybe they're just really hard because of those things. Right. Mm-hmm. And so maybe that's why the struggle is there because they're not capable to attach. Like it's just not, yeah, it does feel like I'm treading on ice here. So I'm, I'm trying to choose my words slightly <laughs> um, or wisely, I guess. But so I did struggle with that for a long time. And I went and sought counseling and I was like, I, something has to be wrong with me because I know like, I know that they're special needs. I know that they have these learning disabilities. I know that this is going on. And yet I still get so upset. Like he could do one thing and one of my bio kids could do the exact same thing. And I get so much more upset with him than I do with my bio kids mm-hmm. and just the rage that I would feel. And the, um, the, I guess just the anger I'd feel about the situation. Mm-hmm. I was like, something has to be wrong with me. And when I, when I, went, I saw several different counselors and just like, what do I need to do to change me? Because logically I know that he can't do anything different. Like it's clearly me. I'm clearly the problem. Cause I don't respond this way when this kid does something right. Right. And they came back and they said, Laura, this would make anybody really angry. The, there's a lot of destruction that goes on with kids who have FASD. There's a lot of destroying a property, stealing things, just a lot of our frontal cortex doesn't work correctly. And so therefore we just make foolish choices and don't really see consequences. And so, you know, one of my counselors was like, you're responding exactly how any other parent would respond. Like this is, this is typical. There's nothing wrong with you. And I was like, well, I really don't think so. I really think there's with me. And she's like, you cannot expect to act like a saint at all times. Like that's not human. You cannot always respond in such a great, kind, generous way. Like there's going to be times when you lose it with your kids and you get upset. And I still wasn't satisfied with that. So I went and sought out another expert because I was like, I, I want to respond in a kind and gentle way all the time. Like I don't want to be angry at a kid or I don't know. So I went right. and sought another expert who is an adoption expert. And she said, you are giving them the safest, best shot in life. And that may be all that it is like that. That may be it. I feel so scared saying these words out loud. She said that may, that may be it. Like that you may never have feelings for them. You may never love them the same and that's okay. Like you're giving them a safe home. You're giving them everything that they, they need, everything that they want. Like you're giving them so many great opportunities in your home and that act of love is loving them enough. And so I don't know. All of that feels so scary to say out loud. I think that I, I get it. I'm, I'm sure that you guys feel that way too. When you're talking to somebody and you feel like you just said something and you're like, Oh gosh, I can't believe I just said that. I love that. I don't know. After struggling with that for a while, I feel like I finally came to peace with it. Like it's okay. It's mm-hmm. okay that I don't have the same feelings and 
I'll just, it's okay. Like just becoming at peace with that has been a huge blessing to me. So right. my heart is to encourage others to get there too. And what's not okay is if you came home and brought all seven of your kids a Happy Meal for McDonald's and left out your adoptive kids. That's oh, yeah. not okay. No, no. Yeah. Now, and I, don't, I don't think that behavior wise on my end, you would not be able to tell a difference in how I'm treating anybody differently in our home. Right. So, right. It's more of an internal struggle. It is hands down internal of like how I re- like feel like I respond emotionally. And it's mainly emotionally. It's where it, <laughs> it's where it lands. Yeah. yeah. I know one time David told Jackson to get his butt up off the couch and do something. And I looked at him and he looked at me like, what? And I said, you would have never said that to your kids. Do not say that to mine. Now, it's okay if I tell him to get his butt up off the couch. (laughs) And after a few minutes, David looked at me. He said, you're right. He said, I don't even realize it sometimes. And we don't. We don't realize how differently we react to things or how they make us feel sometimes until we sit down and think about this stuff. Yeah, absolutely. So what, I'm sure that, I don't want to put words in your mouth. Okay. But have you ever felt guilty for adopting them? Like maybe you shouldn't have, so they maybe could have went to a family that did love them like their own and all those beautiful butterflies and unicorns mm-hmm. and rainbows? Uh, several things there. So, no, I haven't. And I think that just along the way, we just knew that this was obedience. And it's kind of a daily obedience of this act of love. Okay, so don't let me plant stuff in your head. So don't think about that in the future. <laughs> oh, don't worry. And people ask me that all the time. They're like, do you regret doing this? And uh, my answer is no, because I know that like I'm not answering to myself. I'm for me, we're answering to God. And if he's asked to just to do that and we're being obedient, then we're doing what we're supposed to be doing. That doesn't mean it's going to be easy or butterfly or <laughs> right. beautiful, right? Like nothing about that is promised to us. And so I also know that whenever they were taken away from bio mom, the options were to go to a foster home two hours away. Um, and in that foster home, she was like, so she was the only one in a two hour radius that would take them. And then even that foster mom realized she couldn't adopt them, that the, the struggles were too big. Um, she was wanting to put them in a group home and they were ages three, two and one at the time. And so it's not like there was a hundred people lined up wanting to adopt them. There was not really anybody lined up wanting to adopt them. And so. Yeah. Cause it's hard to keep them together, right? It is hard to keep them together. And just with different, like um, the oldest was having behavior issues. The middle one was having a bunch of health issues. And so it, I mean, there was nobody else, right? It wasn't like there was a ton of people and we took them and I was being selfish and took these kids and nobody right. else gets to have them. And we're taking the opportunity away from them. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, they needed a home and we were able to give them a home and that's perfect and beautiful. Right. Period. When there's an argument that happens between your adoptive kid and a bio kid, do you have to mentally remind yourself to be, we'll use the word fair. Mm-hmm. 
and to not jump to, oh, well, my bio kid wouldn't have done that. And it's the adoptive kid that's being the bad kid. Even though I know they have issues, which they probably are more prone to getting in trouble, I guess we will say. But do you have to kind of mentally talk yourself down before you respond to the situation? I don't think so. I think that we've got a pretty good, we've worked a lot on communication with everybody since day one. And so when they get into a disagreement, they know to come to us, have us help them work it out. Mm-hmm. And I think that our our older bio kids are more understanding of all of the things going on with them. Mm-hmm. And so it's easier for me just to say, hey, we can let this go. It's not that big of a deal, right? We we talk a lot about big deals and little deals in our home. And unless something's a big deal, then we don't need to make a big deal of it. Right. And so I think just having those that framework is really helpful mm-hmm. because it's just a very matter of fact, this is how we deal with conflict. Right. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I know when Jackson... And the stepkids would kind of get in an argument or somebody took something that or accused one person of taking something. I was more apt to think that it was the stepkids doing something wrong because, of course, we don't want to think our sweet little babies would ever do anything wrong. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, the majority of the time, like just because I think we all know our kids, too. Right. So mm-hmm. I think that. Yeah, I'm trying to be careful with my words. No, you're fine. I actually, I interviewed a lady one time and she said, oh, she knows which kid's bad. Yeah. Yeah, even it's her own kid. Yeah. So she doesn't necessarily just jump to that it's the stepkid because she said, I know my kids are bad. Yeah, you kind of know your kids and you know which ones are going to be the destroyers and you know which ones are the stealers and Mm -hmm. the sneakers. And yeah, so we have some bio kids that are falling to that too. And so I... I almost immediately know who to blame mm-hmm. or who to like call in question, I guess. And so, and then it doesn't matter which, which kid it is actually. It's just a matter of knowing the kids. Your adoptive kids know they're adopted. They do. We've talked about it a lot. They don't really understand it very well. Mm-hmm. So we talk about their birth mom and uh, I had the honor of her actually asking us to take the kids. And so we're able to tell them that of like, hey, she wanted us to help take care of you. And but I think the concept is still so foreign to them. I'm not really sure. I'm not sure they'll ever understand it really, or if they won't understand it until they're much older. Right. Does she ever contact you? Uh we we talk occasionally. We have infrequent contact on Facebook and we'll have phone calls every now and then. Okay. So she's still checking on them, we I guess you could say. Yes, she is. But she doesn't see them or anything like that. No. And I think that that would just be super confusing for them. Yeah. I think just because of the the low IQ, I think that that's where things just get super messy and unclear in their minds. And yeah, I, I don't yeah. think that they would be able to, to separate out those things. Yeah. So when you talk to other adoptive parents and you make the comment of something Regarding your struggling or how you just don't love them the same as your bio kids, I bet some of these other adoptive moms or adoptive dads even have this look of relief on their face. Like, thank God I'm not the only one. Yeah. Because nobody talks about it. Yeah. And I feel like that's where the shame hides is when we're not talking about it. 
And, you know, I would just, I'm going <laughs> to, this sounds very lofty, but it would be so great if other people would just embrace other people's stories, you know? Yeah. So people out there who just don't understand instead of them being judgy and rude, if they could just be like, wow, that's really hard. Right. I can't even imagine. Right. And so we'd have the freedom to not be alone in our, in our shame. I think that would be a beautiful thing. Now we know that with step parents, there's a lot of societal pressures to be the mom. And that's where a lot of the struggles come in. Because yeah. you're supposed to love them like your own, knew what you were getting into, all this mess. What do you think puts that pressure, or why do you think it's so taboo when it's your adoptive kids? Is it because of, like I was thinking, well, you chose these kids. Yeah. It's not like a step family. Yeah. I've even had a CPS worker once before say, like, well, you knew what you were signing up for. <laughs> That's great. I did know that I was signing up to adopt and take care of these kids. And I'm not changing my stance on that by any stretch of the imagination. Like I'm still here doing this. Right. Right. But I had, you. there's no way to prepare yourself for that. There's no way to pr- prepare yourself for your feelings and how, like how it all is going to play out. And I think that's, I don't know, everybody wants to blame somebody. And so if we're going to blame somebody, if I'm saying it's hard, then well, it has to be your fault. Like you've got to be doing it. Right. Right. You're doing something wrong or you're not loving them enough or you're not trying hard enough or you're not mm-hmm. connecting enough or whatever it is. And I, I'm just going to say that's false. Like I, you can be doing everything right and still not have those feelings and still not, still not feel the same way that you do about your bio kids. And again, like love them like crazy. Yeah. But it's just different. Yes. I love my stepkids now. I would do anything in the world for them, but it's different with my bio son. Yeah. And it is okay. Absolutely. I can see step parents listening to this and adoptive parents listening to this and the adoptive parents saying, yeah, it's okay if a step parent feels that way, but not an adoptive parent. Yeah. I I would just disagree. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, I completely get it. Yeah. I mean, there's a reason I, I think that, just how we were all designed of like having our own children and the feelings that come with that. And the just that crazy, I would do absolutely anything for you. Mm-hmm. And then picturing a stranger on the street and you don't have that feeling for them. And then one day that person comes in your home and it's supposed to magically, you're supposed to have that feeling for them because they're in your home. Right. And you can't make it happen. You can't force it. You can't go to therapy and get hypnotized to love these kids more. Yeah, absolutely. And you can't, I mean, same with all of the books and all of the things and all of the the things that they tell you to do to create that. It's still like they they can feel love. You can build attachment. Those things can happen, but it's still different. And I think right. that's the part of the conversation where we're not going to, you know? Yeah. Because it's not supposed to be different. Mm-mm. Because you did adopt them. Yeah. Does your husband feel the same way? Um, I will not put words in his mouth at the, <laughs> this moment, but I, I believe, I, yeah. 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 And that's good because he understands you. Absolutely. If he, for some reason, loved all these kids exactly the same, which I don't think you love any kid exactly the same, even if they're four of your bio kids, you no. love them differently. But if he did feel 
that he loved all these kids the same and they all carried the same weight, we'll say, in the family. You know what I'm saying. Yeah. Then, and you said, well, I just don't feel that way. That could cause a lot of issues with y'all. It really could. Just of not understanding each other and not being able to connect in that way. Right. Have any of your bio kids ever asked if you love your adoptive kids more than them? They have not asked that. I was just wondering because I know a lot of step families, these bio kids will say, do you love the new step parent more than me? So for instance, Jackson would say, do you love David more than me? Because they're afraid they're being replaced. Yeah. I don't know if just because they've been with us for so long, mm-hmm. and it's just kind of been how it how it is for the majority of our kids. Right. Um, but they have, they have not asked that. You had two more bio kids after you adopted these Correct. kids, right? Correct. So that's all they've ever known. Yes. And do they consider them siblings? They all do. Yes. That's good. They don't ever say, you're not my real sister or you're not my real brother. We haven't gotten there yet. I'm not <laughs> saying that it's not going to happen. Just nobody said that yet. And well, I'm that's good. holding my breath. Yeah. But you're sense. you're aware at least that that could happen. Oh, yeah, for sure. Now, I do have a question for you. Ten kids. What do you drive? <laughs> we drive a Nissan, like an NV 3500. Is that like a huge van? It's a it's a 12 passenger van. Wow. Do you do things with all the kids a lot? Because I'm thinking when we took the kids to Putt-Putt, how expensive it was. <laughs> yeah, we have to do things differently. Yeah, sure. even taking these kids to get ice cream, you're looking at 50 bucks. Yeah, no. So we'll do special things with kids, but it's normally in smaller groups of people. So if like the big kids have an event or some of the boys have a scout thing, then we'll like go get ice cream afterwards or go get dinner afterwards. Mm-hmm. But we have a lot of... We have a lot of ways to save money um, when we all go out. So we really like doing large family road trips. And so we have a travel trailer and we will do like a five month stint around the country and are part of the country. And that's one of my favorite things to do and to that's go on little awesome. adventures with everybody. So, so do you homeschool all these kids? Um, some of them I do. And then some of them go to public school as well. We just kind of look at each child and try to figure out what's best for that child, which is, you know, another area where, because for a while it was just our adoptive buddies that were going to school because there were special needs and I had no idea how to teach them at all. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, well, they're, they're going to school, but I felt bad about it because I'm homeschooling our bios, like I'm treating them differently. And, but kind of coming out of this, I'm feeling guilty about how I'm parenting piece. I, realize that you know what we're just doing each thing that we think is best for each child right that's how we love each child so right so how in the world do you do five month trips with kids in school oh like five week trips i'm sorry oh i'm sorry (laughs) i'm thinking how in the world do you do that please forgive me (laughs) we've done it for like my husband will just work from on the road and we'll go in the beginning of summer or over the christmas break and just take a week or two off of school Mm mm-hmm because we think that education is so much better than anything that they could get in school, you know? Yes. So I really love it. I don't, I don't know if everybody else is just trying to behoove me, but. Oh, you would know if all those kids didn't like it. No doubt. I love You'd it. be miserable. <laughs> yeah. They get to I do remember, some fun things, so. Yeah. 
So you've got me thinking all this stuff with all these kids, and I just cannot imagine that many people in a house. Do they share rooms? Do the adoptive kids share rooms? I mean, surely to goodness, your house isn't big enough for everybody to have their own room. No. And we just did a remodeling thing that we have a bunch of of the boys upstairs now. And then there's a couple people that have their own rooms down here. Mm -hmm. And it is a, it's a very open floor plan. So it's kind of a farmhouse style house. So it doesn't feel tight. And we have a lot of systems in place that help everything run smoothly throughout the day. So it doesn't feel, it doesn't feel crazy at all. Do you work outside of the home? I have a consulting business where okay. I help help moms put systems in place in their homes so that they can live more peaceful lives. So, Well, you've got a lot of experience with that, I'm sure. Yeah. It's really great because I feel like I have every child under the sun in my home, mm-hmm. just with every different, we have a lot of disabilities here and we have a lot of different just attitudes and uh, personalities for sure. And so- Learning how to motivate each of them has been a, a fun journey, but I'm able to coach moms so much better because I've got ideas for motivating all children. Oh, that's great. Yeah. I'm thinking about dinner time. That has to be like feeding an army. <laughs> it's really not that bad. I know with us, with having five kids between us, I did feel like I was feeding an army. It was like an assembly line, slapping the mashed potatoes on the plate. <laughs> yeah. I just make all the plates and then have people help serve. And well, that's one of my favorite times to have. I'm a big believer in kind of a team mentality in our home that we're all mm-hmm. pitching in. We're all doing something right. And so that's kind of my key time for, Hey, we're a team. We're doing this together. And so while I'm cooking dinner, kids have different chores that they're supposed to be doing. And then everyone is supposed to help kind of get either silverware or drinks or serve get everything on the table so we can all sit down and eat together. Right. So are you finished having kids? <laughs> I believe so. Unless something miraculous happens. <laughs> I feel done. You feel done? Yes. I just, I can't imagine. I just can't. But I can see how you do have more of a team atmosphere because you have to. Yeah. Because there's no way that you could do everything by yourself. Oh, absolutely not. And the sad thing is is that I think from having 10 children, I know that's true. And I think it's true for most moms, but they don't know it for themselves. Yeah. We end up carrying too much weight. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So what is something that you would tell other adoptive parents that the books didn't tell you, that your research didn't tell you? that is even opposite of what society tells you about adopting kids? I mean, I think a lot of what we've already been talking about is like, hey, you're probably not going to feel the same way towards your bio kids, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. Like those feelings aren't a requirement to be a good mom. Right. Like, hands down, they're not. And so you can show up in every way that they've told you to show up, and it, those feelings, that attachment still not be there, mm-hmm. and that's okay. Like there's no reason for shame in that. You're doing a great job. I think also a lot of the things that I've had to work on are just my issues. And I think going to counseling is such a huge deal. There were so many things that I was triggered by with these little buddies that for whatever reason, my kids didn't trigger me with, my bio kids didn't trigger me with. Mm -hmm. And 
I had to like go back and work on childhood stuff. And I mean, all of these things, but I, I needed somebody to talk to who could kind of guide me through that and inform me of why I was being so triggered by certain things. Does that make sense? Yes. So I would just encourage other mamas to make sure to go do their work and get Mm -hmm. themselves in the best place they can and then feel no shame when all the feelings aren't there. Right. I know one of David's kids, he moved, um, he was in the Air Force and he moved back here. He was in Japan. So while he was waiting for his house in Sumter, he stayed with us and his wife did too for three months. And I remember I came in the door one day and his shoes were not on the shoe rack. They were sitting there. And I remember looking at those shoes. I probably stood there three minutes. I'm not kidding. Looking at those shoes saying, why? Why does this affect me differently? And so I talked to David about it afterwards. And he said, maybe it's like some post-traumatic stress syndrome where things that have happened in the past. And I sat there and I said, I don't think that's it. I think it's because I still look at those shoes as him being disrespectful. Mm. Whereas with my son, it's, oh, he must have been in a hurry. He didn't have time to put them up. Yeah. And do I think David's son literally is saying, oh, I'm going to leave these here to drive Lori crazy? No. But they represent something different to us. And it's so fascinating. It is. And you can't change it. What you can change is how you let it affect you. So, for instance, if I saw the shoes, rather than being mad and for two days or even 30 minutes, I can just go, man, that kid still ain't picking up his shoes and just forget it and walk off. Or I can ask David, hey, can you pick those shoes up? That's the go-to with step families is asking the bio parent to pick up after their kid. And then they can ask their kid to either do it or they can do it for the kid. That way you're not fussing at the kid or being ugly to the kid. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, it helps. It definitely helps. But you can't explain it. You can't. Yeah, I'm really grateful you're creating a safe space for parents to feel not alone in that. Well, I think that you need to create a safe space for adoptive parents. I'm working on it. (laughs) I really do. because, And I will tell you, I'm one that was completely flabbergasted when you told me that you didn't feel the same way about your adoptive kids as your bio kids. And I don't know why I was flabbergasted because it makes sense. Yeah. And it's it's not that these adoptive kids are less than or that you, again, that you don't care about them. There's just something about the biology of having your own kids. Yeah. And plus with adoptive kids, you can't look at your husband and say, they are acting just like you. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Growing up, my mom, every time one of us would do something bad, she'd say, your kid talking to my dad, because we weren't her kids unless we were good. Yeah. I feel that. Yeah. But you can't do that with your adoptive kids. (laughs) (laughs) No. Yeah. Do you think that your kids and the adoptive kids have a relationship that's the same as the bio kids have amongst themselves? I feel like that's a interesting question. So our older ones, I don't feel like they do just because they're older. Mm -hmm. And so just as if you had teenagers in the house and little kids in the house, they wouldn't have the same feeling right towards each other. And so all of our little buddies that are about their age, I think that they definitely have that attachment. They love them and adore them dearly. There are times like I, I know that 
and I, I'm not sure how much of this is the adoption piece or the special needs piece of, of whatever difficult situation we're dealing with that day. But I know that I have a few <laughs> of my bio kids will say things like, oh gosh, I don't want them to come home. It, you know, it gets so loud when they're home. And, you know, I used to be like, oh, we, we don't say that. Like, we don't talk about that <laughs> because yeah. it just sounds bad that we're saying that out loud. But one of my counselors said, you know what? Let them say that. Let them be okay with the fact like it is different. It's different. When they come home, the whole house increases in chaos and noise. And because believe it or not, with seven kids still at home homeschooling, it it's pretty calm here throughout the day. Mm-hmm. When they come home from school, everything just is loud. Right. All the time. And so she said to acknowledge that of like, hey, yeah, it's hard. It's hard sharing space with with people that are louder. Yeah. It's, you know, I noticed that too, or something like that and acknowledging them mm-hmm. and give, letting them have that voice because they're having those feelings regardless of if you validate them or not. Right. So right. either you're going to validate them and they're going to be okay with how they're feeling, or you're going to shame them by saying, Oh, we don't say that. Like don't ever talk right. about it again. Right. Right. And then they won't share how they're feeling. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think helping give voice to that and maybe coming up with some solutions to whatever, like with the example I gave of our kids, I'm like, well, hey, when when we know they're coming home, you can go up to your room and you can shut the door up there, whatever, so that you can have some more quiet time if you need some more quiet time in the day. Right. But you know what? And here I go again thinking, <laughs> if I remember one of David's kids said, I wish I would have been an only child. That's okay when it's a bio kid. But even when your bio kid seems to say that about the adoptive kid, it's like, Oh, you shouldn't say that. Yeah, because we don't want to single them out or make them feel bad or... Right, or make them feel like they don't belong or... Yeah. Yeah. And so I think it's an overall theme that we need to be enforcing into our people that we all belong. And that kind of goes back to, for me, that team mentality of, hey, we all belong here. We need each other. Mm -hmm. We can't do this gig without any one of you. And so we need you here. Right. And you definitely don't want anybody to feel like that they're left out, Mm-mm. which I'm sure is hard to do with all those kids. Yeah, I don't. Um, I mean, you've got it down to a T now, I'm sure. I feel, I feel like it's more like a birthday party, like everybody's having a good time, you know? <laughs> and then if somebody needs space, they just kind of go off and have their their space. Yes. And it's important to allow them to do that. I know we tried to force family game night. Oh, that was a bad idea. <laughs> if somebody doesn't want to participate and you make them, everybody's going to be miserable. Yeah. We've been there a few times. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So tell us a little bit about the systems that you help parents with. Yeah, absolutely. So my goal is, you know, I normally, my kind of niche is just moms. So sorry, dads out there, but I I just have a heart for wanting moms to be freed up so that they can kind of live their best life Mm -hmm. and live a peaceful life in their home and really enjoy their family. So our process in doing that is kind of going through an assessment stage where we kind of just assess what, what things are working, what things aren't working, what they need help with, and then going through an implementation phase of trying things out and planning different things for their family and then really seeing if those stick or if they don't work or what what needs to be tweaked and changed. Mm-hmm. And so 
that looks a lot like building rhythms and routines throughout the day, which I think is super helpful for for everybody. Any, yeah. And for any children as well, just having, knowing what is coming up, I think mm-hmm. is really, really helpful. And I know that like with our kids, with their past trauma and with their special needs and all of that, it just helps so much in just having a flow for our day and setting their expectations and setting my expectations. And so rhythms and routines, helping moms take care of the home, because I often they are not only the mom, they're the home manager. They normally have another gig on the side. They're shuffling kids around. Like they pretty much get the brunt of everything. Mm-hmm. And maybe this is not always the case, but with most of moms I work with them, no, that is the case. They're doing everything for everybody all the time. And so we help them build a team mentality in their home and help them really delegate things out to other people in their family so that they're not doing it all and they don't feel alone in the process. So that's what I was going to ask you. I was going to ask how often when you work with these moms, do they end up shifting some of this responsibility to the dads? Yeah, absolutely. It's one of the things we talk about a lot and it's it kind of needs to be <laughs> held delicately because there's a lot of feelings there. And so there's normally a lot more than just the mom's doing it all. She's There's normally a lot of bitterness and resentment towards the father for not stepping up. And so there's just conversations that need to be had and like really setting expectations of like, hey, what do I really want of him? If he just did this one thing, what would that be? How would I feel loved by that? And then how are we going to ask that of him? And so we talk through like, hey, this is a great way to say not hey, you never do anything, get up off your butt and come help me do dishes. <laughs> learning how to ask things of like, hey, I I notice every night when I'm doing dishes after dinner that you kind of just go sit over there and play on your phone. Like it needs to be something that's a visual. Like we all could see it. Everyone in the room could know that that's happening. So mm-hmm. it has nothing to do with my feelings. It's just what is happening, the facts. And then from there, like, hey, when I see that, it makes me feel like X. Like, I feel sad that you're not helping me. And it makes me think that you don't care if I do everything by myself. And therefore, I would love it if you could come help me do dishes after dinner. And so we have all this context where we're not going to blaming, blaming, but we're we're saying like, hey, these are my thoughts and these are my feelings and these are the facts and I would like your help. And then they can say yes or no or whatever. And then we can deal with that. But I think often we just accuse and escalate. And so I think it's important that we kind of handle those conversations with care mm-hmm. so that we can build a team mentality in our home. And then also delegating things out to kids as well. I'm a big believer in chores. And so, um, and nothing like our, our kids aren't working nonstop, right? But everybody has a responsibility in the morning. Everybody has a responsibility in the evening time. And everybody needs to do that because we're all relying on each other to do our jobs. Mm-hmm. Yes. Have you read the book Fair Play? I have not. It's a really good book. You might want to check it out. It's similar to a lot of the things that you're talking about. And one of the things that I realized reading the book is I have a lot more cards than David does. Yeah. (laughs) And when I say that, it's because I get a card because I order groceries. I get a card because I put up the groceries. I get a card because I either fix for what's for dinner or decide what's for dinner if we're going to go out. And I remember not too long ago, David said, so what are we doing for dinner? And I was just 
I was not in the best mood. And I said, why is that my responsibility? How about somebody else figure that out for a change? Because after a while, you get so overwhelmed with this stuff. Yeah. And I told somebody, I said, I probably shouldn't have read that book because now I'm thinking, oh, I even, I get the mail. I go through the mail. I pay the bills. I mean, he's got two cards over here (laughs) and I got a whole deck. (laughs) But it's about making things fair and valuing each other's time as equal. Yeah, that would be a really interesting read. It's a very good book. And it's called Fair Play. Okay. I'm writing it down. Yep. I think it's by Eve Rodsky. Okay. But I'm sure you can find it. But it, it's a good book. It's very interesting. But it's about making things work more evenly as a team. That's really interesting. Okay. Well, I'm excited yeah. to read it. Yeah. And of course, it's not where, oh, if David hates cooking, and I don't like cooking, that I'm saying, well, you're the one that's going to do it. You know, it's not like that. And like you said, the way that we approach things, we can tailor it to where it's not sounding hateful. Yeah. I know one day I was doing dishes and I swear it feel like it feels like I'm the only one that ever does dishes. <laughs> and I was getting ready to do them and I just felt this stress. And I said, nope, I'm not doing this. So I walked outside and I said, David, when you get a chance, can you do the dishes? I'm done today. He's like, sure. Yeah. Or he, he laughs. He says, I will say, hey, will you help me do the dishes? And he said, once he starts helping, I walk off. <laughs> <laughs> and I do Strategy. that. I, I know I do it because <laughs> it's hard to have two people doing dishes. <laughs> You're just emptying the dishwasher and putting new stuff in. And you got two people right there. Just Yeah, you, you got it. I'll go do something else. Yeah. <laughs> That's really mm-hmm. funny. Yes. Well, if people are interested in learning more about you helping them with processes, where can they find you? Yeah. So my website is mamasystems.net and you can find all that information there. Is that M-A-M-A? M-A-M-A. Okay. And I have a have a little self-care guide that I can send over to you as well that I would love to share with. Again, I'm sorry to be a little biased here, but I, I would love to share with the mamas just to make sure that they're taking care of themselves and that they don't reach that point of burnout so quickly. So I'll be sure to send that over to you as well. Yes, because I'm sure that that could help a lot of stepmoms as well, because stepmoms come in and we're all gung-ho. We're going to fix the world. We're going to put systems in the house where the kids are going to bed at a certain time and getting up at a certain time and eating certain foods and doing certain chores. And then the next thing you know, they are just burnt slap out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's because they took everything on. And it's hard to step back once you take everything on. It definitely is. Yeah. Yep. So that's my heart is to want to to free them up so that they're not they're not wearing themselves out. Well, that'll be great. Yeah, send that to me and I'll put a link to it in my show notes. That sounds like a plan. I'm so grateful for you. Well, I am grateful that you are a guest on our podcast because, again, you opened my eyes to a lot of stuff that I wasn't even aware of. And I'm sure that a lot of our listeners that are adoptive parents, because they do have stepkids and adoptive kids and all this stuff, that you're actually helping them by saying, hey, it's okay. Yeah. It's okay. (laughs) It's okay. Well, thank you again and stay in touch. I will. Thank you so much. Thank you. One thing the stepmom does is she does consulting to help moms implement systems. Because moms, we run ourselves crazy. 
Moms are usually, I'm not going to say always because it's not true. Moms are usually the ones that schedule all the appointments, take care of buying groceries, take care of cooking, the meal planning, the laundry, you name it. On Amazon. David, behave. Shopping for boots. So her business is mamasystems.net. I will also put a link to her business in the show notes. It may be something that can help you. Even if you're a stepmom that doesn't nacho or you only nacho certain things, she may have some systems that help you. Systems are good. Systems are good. Speaking of, David, you have been reading a book. (laughs) Yeah. What's it called? Getting Things Done. GTD. How's that working for you? The Art of Stress-Free Productivity. Actually, it's it's working great for me, and I've not I'm not even all the way through the book because it's it starts out by kind of going into the you know the why why you should do it, which I mean I don't need any convincing on that because <laughs> <laughs> I need to be doing you know some more stress free productivity, but then it goes really deep into the, like the how, and that's when I had to really slow down because you know you're trying to implement things, but you can't like implement everything all at once especially when you're reading it from a book, you have to take slow steps. And so I'm not, I'm probably not even halfway through the book yet, but I've already implemented a lot of the things that it talks about. And boy, what a difference. <laughs> so yeah, systems. Are you said good. it, you said it's helping you sleep better at night. It is. It is. One of the problems that I had was that I was, I keep things in my head, like maybe some other people. So I would get, I would lay down at night to go to sleep, and then I'm sitting there going, "Oh, wait a minute, I need to remember to do this." Oh, I didn't write down this other thing somebody wanted today. Oh, in the morning I need to make sure I do this, and so I, like I'm replaying all this stuff in my head that either I didn't get done today, that I need to remember to do tomorrow, and you know, just there's just on and on and on. And I would wake up in the middle of the night sometimes, like, "Oh gosh, I need to make sure I get this done," and um, you know, and I've tried to put like some. A tablet or something beside my bed, or a piece of paper or something, to write that stuff down. But I'll be honest with you: three o'clock in the morning, I wake up, something on my mind. I I don't have the wherewithal to write it down. See, I do because if not, I sit there and tr- keep thinking about it because I'm hoping that if I keep thinking about it, I will remember the next day. So I will write it down just to get it out of my head. I don't because I have to turn the light on and put my glasses on, all this kind of oh, stuff. Oh no, you don't. I ain't doing nothing. Just write on a piece of paper. It don't matter if it's neat. <laughs> <laughs> well, I haven't I've been done doing that before. That. <laughs> well, I haven't been doing that. And so just just getting things out of my head has been a tremendous game changer for me. So as soon as somebody says something that I know I need to either remember or I need to do or anything, anything I need to capture, I've created ways that I can capture that pretty much wherever I am and whatever I'm doing. Just really quick, just capture it. I don't have to do anything with it initially, just capture it. So that's one thing. And then the other thing is uh, within within how I work, I've created ways to handle lists of things that come in and categorize them properly. And I mean, just there's a, there's a system to it, but it's just made a huge difference for me. Didn't I order that book for me too? Mm-hmm, you did. <laughs> I don't and know what I did with it. 
Yeah, because you don't have a system. <laughs> yeah, because I, I like a system. That's okay, though. I will get there. So have you started not waking up at 3 o'clock in the morning with thoughts in your head? Or what happens if you do now? I, actually, I don't. Okay. I dream about you every night. Oh. Oh, that's right. You tell me that you dream that we're not going to be together. <laughs> no, I dream. I keep having this recurring dream that like we're back in the time where we like we would just met. Like I had it again last night. Really? Yeah. <gasps> Maybe you're falling back in love with me. But the weird part is oh, like you're supposed to say you never fell out of love, David. Well, you should know that. Pay attention. But the weird the weird part is in my dream, like we're I guess we're dating or whatever. And but it's it keeps being one of those time frames where um I don't even know how to put it. Like we weren't serious about each other necessarily. It was still kind of that we're trying to figure things out. But I had like the butterflies and stuff every time I was going to see you. Oh. And so I had that that feeling comes back in the dream. Like that excitement and how I felt in the in the first days of getting to know you. So yeah, it makes it makes sleeping much more enjoyable. Cause I get to have those Get to have those little butterflies about you all over again. Oh, I love it. <laughs> but yeah, anyway, you should always be trying to improve yourself. And that's my philosophy. Some people don't buy into that. Yes. But um, but on a on a note, as we're leaving out here, I did hear something interesting this week, and I've heard it before, but it brought back to my remembrance that in life there are only two problems. The first problem is getting what you want. The second problem is knowing what you want. Would it not be the other way around? Do I? Would it not be knowing what you want be a number one? But they weren't in any kind of specific order. Okay. <laughs> and it's true. Even as step family coaches, we can ask people, well, what do you want out of this? What do you want the outcome to be? And sometimes they don't know. They just know they don't want it to be what it is. Mm-hmm. But that's, it's very interesting. I mean, it's kind of a, you don't think much about it when somebody says it. Like, what do you want and how are you going to get it? And when you really sit down to think about it, like you said, most people don't really know what they want. Like, what do you want for your relationship? What do you want for your life? Let's break it down a little bit smaller. What do you want for your day? When you get up in the morning, what is it that you want for your day? Or what do you want for your morning? I mean, right. most most people can't answer that. But once you can answer that, you can say, okay, that's what I want. Now, how do I get it? And the mind is a powerful thing. The mind will answer the question for you if you give it the right question. It'll give you the answer. Well, then why is my vision board still blank? Because you haven't said anything about It's because I'm happy with my life. Is that what it is? Yeah. You're happy being visionless. (laughs) (laughs) No, I just... You've already got everything you want. Yeah. I mean, that happened the day you met me, but anyway. It is. All right. So anyway, to wrap it all up, I like to encourage people to always try to better yourself, better your situation, better your family. 
better those people around you. I mean, really, my goal in life is for everything and everyone to be better than they were before they met me in some way. I need to have made some type of impact. Well, then you need to stop button pushing. Look, button pushers make the world go round. There's a song about that. I'm kidding. (laughs) All right. All right, folks. Join us next week for another episode. And remember, life is good. When you nacho. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Nacho Kids podcast. Find us online at nachokids.com. Until next time, remember, life is good when you nacho.